0: Are you telling me there's trouble with, with Zestimates? Just Are a little telling? bit. Just
1: a little Didn't bit. they shut yeah. down?
0: Did they shut down Zestimates? Yeah. Or did-
1: the iBuying was shut down because basically they were buying all these properties, inflating the value, and then their their algorithm was basically using their comparables that were overvalued to continue to overvalue the real estate that they wanted to buy in this weird Ponzi scheme. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the Tom Story Show with Steve Karish and Tom Story, where we discuss everything real estate or whatever else is on our minds.
2: All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Tom Story Show. I thank you for being here. If you're watching on YouTube, hey, just join our growing community. Steve, we are now over 1,500 subscribers on this channel. And the next goal is to get to 2,000. So if you've been showing up here every week and not subscribing, come on, guys. Come on. If we've been giving you any value, just hit that button. Have you looked, Steve, on the back end on the percentage of people that watch that aren't subscribed? I think it's like 80% or something. So you yeah, gotta change it, that.
0: It hovers between 60 and 80%. So, so subscribe, hit the subscribe call, button. We're calling leave you us guys up. You, man, leave us a review. We got, actually, someone left a review this week and it was a one star. So thank you. Actually?
2: With words or just a one star? No
0: words, no words. No. Yeah. They, don't well, want their, they don't want them, you know, themselves tied we sh- to
2: it. We should have clarified last time that if you're going to leave a review, it would be a five star review. That's what we were asking for. <laughs> but I, I appreciate all you guys being here, if, whether you're watching on YouTube or you're listening on audio. Uh, thank you for, for spending your time with us. Um, as we get into today's show, I want to introduce today's guest. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can already see him wearing that blue shirt, that handsome guy in the middle of two not-so-handsome guys. Uh, Ben Ellens has joined us. Ben is a realtor in the Niagara region. He works for Royal um, LaPage NRC. That's it, right? NRC, I said it right. Okay. Um, And also, you have an extensive experience on the appraisal side of the business, which I really want to touch on today's podcast because the real estate agent to appraiser relationship is a little bit of like a, a butting of heads every once in a while. So I want to go deep on that. Ben, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Keep both of you guys. Yeah, well, it's, it's great that you're here. Um, I know we had kind of been messaging and you had, and I, I didn't realize you, were, you had done appraisals for so long before. So can you kind of give the, the, the listeners like a breakdown of like, I know you've been selling from 2019, I think, on the sales okay. side of things, but your family's yep. been in real estate for 40 years and you've been doing appraisals yep. for a long time. So give the viewer kind of a breakdown.
1: Yeah. yeah. So my my family's been in appraisal for approximately 40 years. I've been an appraiser for about 10 years now. Uh, And about three years ago, uh, just because the nature of the appraisal business, you work for a lot of clientele, you start building up that clientele. uh, I started doing appraisals for more like high-end properties, commercial properties, wineries. You'd finish the valuation for the property and they'd say, okay, great, but who can help me buy this property or who can help me sell this property? And I remember just thinking like, well, it'd be great if I could say me. Right. Right. So I figured, you know what, might as well go for it. Some of my appraisal courses transferred over. So it wasn't too, too difficult to kind Mm. of go down that path. And so, yeah, started in October of 2019 and going strong. Now it's very much working two full-time jobs between the two, but, uh, I very much enjoy it. It's good. It's a good
2: balance. What was your, before you became a licensed real estate agent, and I want you to answer this truthfully, what was your opinion of real estate agents as an appraiser for 10 years?
1: Ooh. Um, that's a great question. I mean, like, I think the kind of like that adage of like, you know, like 20% of the realtors do 80% of the work. I would say that my, my opinion would say like at that time, like that seemed true to me. Uh, and generally speaking, like dealing with those individuals was, was great. They have the experience. They, they pick good mortgage brokers. They pick good lenders. Generally speaking, their clients understand the process. That was fine. Every once in a while, you're going to get somebody who doesn't quite understand maybe the process or it hasn't been explained to them before. Um, and then you know, you run into a little bit of issues here and there. But for the most part, yeah, like it was it was interesting. It was it was a bit eye-opening, but everybody was pretty good.
2: And now, you know, selling for the last four years or three and a half years or whatever it is, yeah. now knowing what you know now, when you look back on previously having those conversations with the realtors, you kind of understand the questions more, the concerns, or like some of the back and forth you would have with them based on now being a part of that as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. And I think the markets have played a lot into that, especially when you're you're looking at those periods of time when the market was increasing at, dra- at a drastic pace. Because as, as an appraiser, you're always dealing with historical information, yeah. right? And when you're dealing in a situation where you're appraising a property, where the market value is changing at 2% per month, and there isn't a lot of historical evidence to back it up, maybe especially in that specific area, or for that property type, and now that agent has and their client has paid over list price for that property, and the appraisal doesn't come in, It's kind of like a comedy of errors in that sense, right? Because like, I, I, you know, I can't make it up and I'm only as good as my last, I'm only as good as the historical information, your clients pressing forward with the market, looking at what reflecting those market conditions. And then there's kind of a a difference of opinion in terms of what the actual market value is. So usually for the first, I would say like one to three months in those rapidly rising markets, that's when the majority of those value appeals would come in.
2: Mm.
1: And so definitely, I would say I would, I would, I would feel for those agents. I would feel for those buyers and you try to do, you try to do your best to make it work, but also you can't make it up. Right.
2: Now I have a question for you I've never had got the opportunity to ask this before when you're doing the appraisals are you using closed sales data only are you using firm but hasn't closed data like what are, what are you looking at on like okay a house sells for a million dollars okay yep. what are you looking at how are you saying okay well they paid a million but my evaluation is 970 or Do do appraisals ever come in over the asking price where it's like, oh, they got a deal on this one? Yeah,
1: sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So that's a really great question. And sometimes it really just depends on like what the banks are asking you to do. So like when appraisals are ordered generally from most major banks and credit unions, they come through these AMCs or appraisal management companies. So we do work for like Solidify or NAS. And when they come in, it'll say it's from Scotiabank or whatever. And this is the requirements that they want to see. So they might say they only want you to use closed sales for Mm. the appraisal which from an appraiser's perspective, now I have a difference of opinion with the lender because I'm happy to use a firm sale because that's, in my opinion, that still reflects what a seller and a buyer agreed upon, right? Whether or not it's closed. Is it safest to use closed data? Absolutely. But especially in those rising markets, like if it is the best comparable you can use, I just, as an appraiser, you say, I have to use my words and you're going to write a bit of a novel as to why I'm choosing to use this comparable. Yes, it's pending. However, It's the best comparable to support the valuation because things are rising so rapidly. And the only closed sale I have is from three months ago, but the market's changed by 7% since then, right? So there's a little bit of narrative you have to get into because, like, you have to, like, the lender doesn't know, right? Like, you have to write the narrative for them. You can leave nothing, no stone unturned. And when it's all said and done, like, they have to understand exactly where you're coming from without having seen anything, right?
2: Yeah. I I mean, it's got to be a difficult position to come from. Um, I've got a ton of appraisal questions, which is probably going to be the, be the yeah. bulk of this episode, but I actually want to go back to the market first here. Cause I, sure. Steve, before I go back to the market, do you have an appraisal question you want to hit on now? Or do you want to wait that for like the middle of this episode? I,
0: I'm writing them down. Let's talk okay. about the market first and then the appraisals. <laughs> sure. later. Okay.
2: Last thing before we talk about the market, before we come back to this circle back, what does AACI stand for?
1: Accredited appraiser of the Canadian Institute.
2: And that is like when you get any appraisal in Canada, they are all AACI? Is that how it works? Or that's just one specific designation?
1: So there's that's one specific designation. So the Appraisal Institute of Canada, the AIC, there are two designations. So the first is a CRA, and then the other is an AACI. A CRA is basically an appraiser that can do anything less than, I think it's like four doors. So it's usually residential, right? Um, And an AACI is like, that's the highest designation you can get in real property valuation. So I can effectively... I can put a valuation, I can offer advisory or consulting on any type of real property. So residential, commercial, institutional, development land, agricultural, like I could technically appraise the air rights around the CN Tower if I wanted to, but that's, you know, that's not a project I'd really want to take on. Uh, and you have to have a competency in these things. But yeah, technically, I can do anything in that regard.
2: So you can appraise air rights. Is that, is yeah. that a thing that you've appraised before, strictly air rights?
1: No, but that is like so appraisers in Toronto, they would appraise air rights. Absolutely. Because if you want to build your condominium development higher, the air above it is valuable,
2: right? That is so interesting. And air rights in one area cost more than air rights in another area, depending on what it was approved for and how high you can go and all that kind of stuff, right?
1: Yeah, it starts getting into the highest and best use of what the what the actual parcels like the highest and best use of that parcel. So that's that's the first question that any any real estate professional should ask themselves: what is the highest and best use of this 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 property? And depending on the density of the land, especially in Toronto, like if you can build you know a hundred condos versus fifty condos, right. like that land's going to be more valuable. It offers more utility and more opportunity to make money.
2: Are you appraising businesses as well? Like if you go into a winery and yeah. they want you to appraise it. Are you appraising strictly the land value or are you then adding in the value of the business as well? Strictly land and building. So okay.
1: we would work with another accounting firm to put together something for the actual like business valuation. Right. Um, we look at that. I mean, appraisers can also that some of them have expanded their practice into valuing like machinery and equipment. That's not something I've done, but wow. we are able to do that as well because you know the equipment in a winery is quite valuable as well.
2: Okay. I'm going to pepper you with these questions. Yeah, so we'll we'll come it. back to this. I want to start with the market. So you, sure. on, on top of the appraisal business, you've been an active real estate agent in the Niagara region for the last four years. Uh, kind of an interesting start, right? So you start, I, I know you've been a part of the industry, but like on the yeah. sales side, you start in 2019. It's a pretty good moving along year. We all know what happened in 2020. Then 2021 yeah. was insanity all year long. And then 2022, we've never seen what happened in 2022 either. So it's like your first four years in the industry have been wild. What's that experience yeah. been like? It,
1: well, I think you made you made the joke initially before we started recording that my 2019 picture and like the picture on my Instagram looks totally different <laughs> because I got because I I really got into it and thought you know what like I can I'm I'm good with appraising real estate like that's that's my job I'll become a realtor you know I'm happy to help out some friends some family maybe I can pick up some referrals like that would be great but then you kind of realize too like when people start calling you saying, we want to use you. And you say, well, you know, I could refer you up to so and so they just say, well, you know, I'll throw a rock in that direction and hit four more realtors I know, right? So right. we either want to use you or we'll go find someone we really do want to use. Um, so I think for me, like, it, it's kind of like, I just started to decided, like, I'm going to get into it, I'm going to start working with it. And yeah, it was a wild ride, because it seems like every day, the market's changing, everything's changing. And you're just kind of learning as you go,
2: right? Was the last four years of craziness, more difficult as a real estate agent? value properties for your clients or as an appraiser uh, appraiser i
1: think because in, in some senses as a realtor like if you're doing residential real estate you kind of can't undervalue you can't underlist a property
2: right i love yeah i love like, that saying yeah
1: yeah like you kind of like not not that that would be like my personal strategy but sometimes you look at a property and you know, see like four you know five hundred thousand dollars is a list price and you go like yeah but it's worth 750 right mm-hmm. so and it's going to go for seven fifty. So I think, in that sense, like becoming an appraiser, like or doing the appraisal work, was difficult because you're always trying to like trying to make these things fit. Because you don't wake up every morning as an appraiser and go like, mm, how many deals can I blow up today? Right? Like you're trying, like you're trying to do. Are a you good sure? Job. I thought you guys had like a five a.m.
2: call with all the other appraisers.
1: Exactly, it's a big conspiracy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so so. What's Niagara doing? What's going on in Niagara? Like, what does it cost to live in Niagara? If, if I'm looking at, and I know Niagara is a big area. So are you like St. Yeah. Catharines, Niagara on the lake? Like does Welland count? Does Grimsby, Grimsby, are yeah. we getting into all these different pockets?
1: Yeah, we're, we're lake to lake. Niagara's lake to lake. So yeah, like, I mean the average, the average price right now, as far as I remember first February was just under $700,000 across the region. So okay. I mean like, and that, that's going to vary too. Like if you're, if you're more Niagara South, like if you're Forty or if you're Port Colborne, like that average price is obviously a lot lower. If you're Niagara Lake, it's a lot higher. Um, I'm, I'm located in St. Catharines. I work out of St. Catharines. Okay. I mean, and, and so, yeah, if you're, if you're north end St. Catharines, yeah, you're going to be looking between, you know, seven, nine hundred thousand dollars, something like that for a decent. And, and what is that?
2: Market. That's a that's a detached, detached, somewhat new. Built home. Uh Like, a
1: no, that's like a that's like a nineteen fifty late 1950s, 1960s bungalow, thousand square feet, three bedrooms, 50 by 100. You're looking at it's like 750, 850, depending on the condition of the property.
2: In Steve's market, if it was built in the 1950s. They just they touch it and it falls down. They only build new <laughs> homes out there.
0: Yeah, it's only investors for that type of thing for sure. And that's like I don't know, one one right now, maybe more. Wow. Really? Yeah, yeah. An hour outside. Well, like Keith would say, an hour outside. I say 35 minutes outside of Vancouver. It's one one.
2: So what do we say? Saint Catharines is, is it an hour and a half from Toronto. What's the, what's the actual?
1: No, like, I mean it's like anything you'd say. It depends the on the traffic, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So I think we're. I mean, that if you're, if the you're official,
0: going... <laughs> yeah, that is the official Ontario measure. It's only yeah. ten minutes away. Uh, Seventy-five hours in traffic. Yeah. <laughs> if I well, if I'm going to a Jays
1: game and the traffic's pretty light, like door to door, I can be there in about an hour, like forty-five minutes to hmm. an hour. Yeah, it's not bad.
2: I um I almost wanted to take a picture of it the other day. I was I was driving home um from my office to my new house and. I think we may have discussed this briefly before, Steve, but like it was eleven kilometers the distance traveled that I had to go and it was twenty-nine minutes estimated arrival time. <laughs> like that's welcome time. to Toronto. I want to take a picture and be like, this is what it's like. If you want to live here, like once you're in here, it's great, but getting in and out is just a nightmare.
0: Yeah. It's terrible, man. When I left your house last time, um oh, yeah. the Uber ride there was frustrating. The Uber ride back to the airport was 10 times more frustrating that was when they were doing like that construction and there was like six lanes down to one underneath that it's
2: not when they were that... doing that construction the construction has never stopped it's oh really it's, okay. well i don't not maybe
0: that construction but there's a new one that's going to cause you an issue now what's that stupid overpass you guys have in toronto that just goes like the whole distance of the city uh lakeshore oh no that that's below i don't know Under- but whatever whatever i'm bo- sitting below a bridge, oh D- what is dvp that? I don't know these things, man. I'm not. Oh, nervous. the gardener. You're Garner? talking about the gardener. Sorry. You're
2: talking about the gardener going the other way.
0: Okay. Well, underneath that sucks.
2: That's Lakeshore.
0: Okay. Whatever yeah. that is, it's terrible. And you guys should figure out your traffic problems.
2: Yeah. The Don Valley Parkway has been renamed the Don Valley Parking Lot many, many times because it's. So they say you can go 90 kilometers per hour, but you never make it up the full speed. So I've never seen a, someone get a ticket on the DVP because you can't even go the speed limit. Well, the good news is when you get out
0: to St. Catharines, there's no traffic at all. Is that true? Fairly.
1: Yeah. It, well, I wouldn't say we're like a sleepy little town. I mean, the big thing is just like the configuration of the roads because it feels like everything's like it was built from like the downtown core and everything's a, like a 45 degree angle from there. So like it's a lot of like when my, when my wife moved here, she just said like it's really weird to get around because it's everything's not like a it's not a T, right? Like it's just yeah. weird angles. So it's kind of hard to get around. But traffic, no, no traffic.
2: Who is moving to St. Catharines right now? Like if you're looking at the buyers in your market, is it people selling in Toronto going, I wanna now retire yeah. and sink? Is that who mostly the buyer is? Or it's a, it's younger families as well? It's kind of spread out. Um, I,
1: I would say that like like fifty percent of the deals that I've been involved with, like they've been dealing with buyers from the GTA. Just because, I mean, what, the bang for your buck that you can get here is just just—it's yeah. just so much better, right? Like if you're getting, if you have something in Toronto for 1.5, 1.8, like Tom, like, <laughs> uh, and then you, but here you're going to buy something for 800, right? So right. what, what person is not going to do that? It just makes sense. And yeah, there's a lot of good amenities here. Why not?
2: And did you see the same run up? So like I think Toronto in those two years of, of craziness went up 38% but many other markets went up 50, 60, like dumb percentages. Steve's probably went up like 100% like, and before it fell, what happened in Niagara region, St. Catharines, let's go back to January 2020 until the peak, what was the run up and then what's been the drop off that we've seen? (laughs)
1: So at, at that time, we were going, I was tracking this for obviously for the appraisal work, but we were going up by about 2% per month. So you're looking at like 25 points a year, Crazy. right? 24, 25 points a year. Right now, I would say that depending on what market you're, you're looking at, and again, like things like Niagara, like places like Niagara Lake don't have a huge data set, like they just don't have as many properties trading. Right. Um, but overall, I would say you're, we're probably down about like 20, 25% from the peak. Mm-hmm. It depends on the property, it depends exactly where you are. So I mean, property values are still quite high. I think we're back to where we were in about 2021, like April of 2021, May yeah. of 2021. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where we are now.
2: Steve, you guys haven't gone pre-pandemic yet, have you? You're still way above, you're, you're in the 2021 Not even close, somewhere. man. Okay.
0: Not even close. Yeah, I want to say uh, 2020 came around, my house one one, and then it went up to two million. And now it's one six, one seven. So like, yeah, we saw a, that's a substantial slide. But um, I'm happy. I mean, yeah. I was in before. I'm still happy. It's so
2: crazy that when we when we really break it down and like all three of us knew and, and many people that listen to this podcast knew that whatever the numbers came out in our local real estate boards in February, we're going to look pretty damn terrible because it's being compared to year over year, right? You're you're, you're comparing to a different time at much different rates. And even though the affordability of the houses actually hasn't changed much on a monthly payment basis, we knew these numbers were going to be bad. But the Toronto numbers came out. And this sounds weird to say we were only down 18%. It should have been more. I was surprised. It should have been 30% based on what we went up.
0: Some of our markets, Tom, uh, because I was hoping the stats came out and then they came out like literally 10 seconds after our last podcast. Um, some of our markets are down 28% year over year and up 9.8% month over month. That's the February versus January numbers, right? February versus February, February versus January. Yeah. Like that's insanity to go like, how are we going ups and downs and swings all over now? Obviously, uh, we're getting roasted saying, you know, you guys are bumpers and you guys want it to go back up and we're, that's not what we're saying, but I think, I think that there's a very good chance the bottom is in. There's a very good chance.
2: For certain markets, As, not a Canadian ascaris, statement.
0: Yeah. Ask your risk of did I say that word right, Tom? I don't think so. Um try a third time. Whatever whatever sign you put next to Barry Bonds' home run record, that that thing. Yeah. Um I just trying to make that joke completely lost my train of thought. What was I trying to say?
2: That not all markets you don't you're not saying that markets have bottomed hundred percent you're saying that yeah
0: yeah totally they're not they're definitely not um, going to be bottomed all the way along, but the big note is if if rates stay here, yeah, we might be fine. I don't think rates are going to stay here, I think rates are going to go up, and I think they might we not have, have a choice to see more unemployment we have to we have to, otherwise things are going to continue to go absolutely insane like i'll give you an example you know tom i've been going through this car shop thing and we've got our problem solved we uh fixed Can we the tell the, can and- we tell the listeners what happened yeah we fix we okay so i paid off my truck mm-hmm. and then two months later my wife's transmission goes in her well we bought that vehicle cash but the transmission goes, so we get it replaced, and I'm like, you know what? Do I want my wife driving around our two kids in a vehicle with a... You can't get a new transmission, by the way. It had to be a used transmission, so it came out of a wrecked car, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, let's just trade it in. Tried to get Hondas, Toyotas, nothing. So finally, thank goodness. Uh, I love you, honey. We are now a full Chevy family. We have all GM vehicles. Um, so we we got that vehicle tied up. But I was just looking at a used uh, hybrid Camry. Okay. So this is a year-old, 15,000-kilometer used hybrid Camry. That car brand new, I want to say, is something like thirty-eight dollars yeah.
2: to $45,000. Really? The
0: used one was sitting on a used car lot for $58,000. Crazy. So this has to stop. something has to be done to make purchasing and jobs and all that stuff because that can't keep going that way that's getting into like depression time bring your wheelbarrow of money for a loaf of bread stuff
2: ben i'm getting some breaking news in my ear here hold on steve karish who only pays cash for everything now has a car payment (laughs) what (laughs) what is going on
0: is that yeah is that correct steve can you comment on this we do um (laughs) it's a three point Four nine percent financing, and I asked if I could just have the loan, please. Yeah, that'd be great. And they said no, (laughs) the vehicle. So we got a trade in, we did it on a like a 60 month okay. Um, at three point whatever. Are you cringing every month that you know you have a payment? It's not gonna, it's really, I, I don't like it, but um, I mean, we were definitely going in the right direction. I just, I was shocked. My wife comes home with the vehicle and does the whole thing. She's like, I was talking to the financing guy near the end. And he's like, Oh, I commonly hand out $3,000 a month car payments. Are they Porsches? This is a GM dealer, man. This is a Chevy dealer. Or like maybe the, that's like Corvette, putting some,
2: they're pimping their rides and their trucks or something. They're getting some like hydraulics or. I don't get, no,
0: that's my other car. Did you know I'm a gangster lowrider? No, you're not. You are not. <laughs> you that, you right? are not. Um, Are you seriously don't know that I... No? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Oh, okay. No, no, no. The whole lowrider car club.
2: I actually don't know what you're talking about.
0: that's, That's my whole past. I've had many cars with hydraulics and...
2: I feel like you were the guy with the bike where the, 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 it was just up here. The the big ape hangers. Yeah. 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 The
0: the Schwinn lowrider bike. hundred percent, man. This episode of the Tom story show is brought to you by the real estate video course. Today's real estate industry has changed and you can no longer rely primarily on door knocking, cold calling, and geo farming. While these strategies still work, video provides something that these traditional methods just don't. And that is leads that reach out to you because of you and the message and content that you are providing i believe that video is king and that through video you can leverage your message create stronger relationships and become the authority on real estate in your marketplace the real estate video course is a five-part course that will teach you the fundamentals of video including why it's so impactful the equipment that you need to invest in to get started and the proven tips and strategies used to ensure long-term success so go to to video course login.com today to become a true creator, level up your editing and production skills, and develop your real estate video plan to leverage your message to current and prospective clients. That's video course login.com The link is below in the description, and don't forget to use the discount code TomShow at checkout for 10% off any purchase. That's videoCourseLogin.com, and use the checkout code TomShow. That's T-O-M-S-H-O-W. That was my entire life until I got into real estate. I need to see pictures. I need to see you in in these cars. I actually edited a picture. I have a video coming out soon. I'm going on vacation, so all my videos are pre-done. You won't be able to tell when I'm gone, but I have a video coming out soon (laughs) with literally, I was the president of a a car club here in Canada, Lowrider Car Club, and then I've got like the president from Seattle, from like Eugene, and these are all like, I don't fit in, man. I, I didn't know anyway. this
2: version of Steve. This is oh, this is yeah. break This is more breaking news. I didn't know any of this about you. Look 100%. at this. We, we talk, talk all the time, and we never. Brought, you've never once brought this up ever.
0: Yeah, haven't you seen my car in the garage when you were at my house?
2: Yeah, but there was like a thing I couldn't. There was like a. How th- bored is
0: Ben right now, by the way? Yeah, I'm so sorry. But he's ben. like my my talking. my dad's
2: a car guy. He owns a '62 Chevy Impala,
1: and so like I I get it. Really? Yeah, he does. Yeah.
0: So just so Tom knows, because he's not a car guy. <laughs> no, I, I have a car story. 58 to 64 Chevys are the world Mm
2: -hmm.
0: in Palace. Are the world. Um, Those cars have gone up in value from like when we used to buy them for, I don't know, five to 7,500 bucks. And now those things, I'm hearing they're trading for hundreds of thousands of dollars, some of them. Like it's unreal. I've got a 72 Cutlass convertible and I don't even like. I should probably get it up and running and appraised and everything again, but I'm assuming that thing is worth boatloads more than what I've Ben for do it. you appraise cars? I don't, but like again, I work with my dad, so like this is
1: I hear about this probably almost like more than real estate is just because that was the car he bought when he was 16 years old. He's cool. put it in a garage, had a family, it rusted out, and then he bought a new one. Like this is like this replacement car of his youth. It still kind of sits in a garage, but like yeah, I, I went to my fair my fair share of car shows like growing up, and like I take my kids. I don't I don't own any fancy cars, yeah. but like it's fun. It's fun. It's
2: I know nothing about cars. I drive a Volvo because I'm a responsible dad now. Um, uh, my new balance shoes hit the ignition and and it's, it's game on, but, uh, I actually learned how to drive on a 1929 Ford model a my, my grandfather had that car and it's a, obviously it's a double clutch stick shift, no power steering. And it just, it's gear one, two, three reverse. It was the H clutch. And so clutch to neutral clutch again to gear. So that's how I learned how to drive. So everything after that was easy, which
0: bet you didn't know that about me, Steve. I did not know that about you. I'm shocked. I didn't ever told you about this. We'll have yeah. to fill that in on another time and show. All right. Directions. Now back to
2: our regular scheduled programming. <laughs> um, Tom story, classic car podcast. Ben, have, have you questions. noticed? I want to, I want, I, I okay.
0: want to, okay. well, you, you I just have
2: it. a quick question about February and his market is, okay. yep. did you see the uptick that me and Steve saw in our markets is confidence back? Did the February pricing go up compared to January?
1: Uh, not really. I, I would say that like, I would say that a little bit of the inventory is drying up. So like, mm. I think we're officially still in a balanced market. But we're heading into very, like, I think we're like, a like a point one away in terms of like a month's worth of inventory right. away from being into a seller's market. Mm. So I would, I'm really interested in seeing what happens, you know, in the spring. And but yeah, I, I would, I think if everything keeps going this way, and the fact that, the, that uh, the Bank of Canada didn't raise the rate, I wouldn't be surprised if we're in a seller's market.
2: Were you surprised that they didn't raise the rate?
1: Uh, no, they said they weren't going to do it. I mean, like, again, like, I don't know. Like, I think, in, I think they're going to have to raise it down the road. I, that's just a, a yeah. hunch that I have no crystal ball, but I wasn't surprised they didn't raise it this time because they said they weren't, they got a safe face.
2: I know a lot of people have given Tiff a lot of public, uh, uh, opinions, let's say, but, um, he was in a, a lose, lose position on this one, right? Yeah, he, he publicly 100%. came out and said, I know it's a conditional hold, but he still said it. If he raised it, he was going to look weak. That, they, that they're yeah. just going back on what they said right away, even though they said it was going to be based on the numbers and everything. And if he doesn't raise it, well, guess what? Our dollar is now at 73 cents as of us recording yes. this podcast. It could get to 65 cents. I did my ma- my homework on this. Last time it was under 65 was 2001. Yeah. That's not going to be good either. Uh, and, and you know what? That's actually going to make real estate in Canada look more affordable to all those pesky foreign buyers that in two years are they are going to be swooping in. and buying even more up
0: we're just getting their prs they're bringing money from that's more realistically what's happening right five hundred thousand prs a year those people are coming with money now and if our dollar goes down and i have no idea how it compares to uh money from other countries other than the u.s but if ours go down and theirs all go up we're on sale um bank of canada said too that they they
2: they're still anticipating canadian inflation gets to 3% at some point this year. Do we think that's realistic? That could actually happen. Like I know it's been trending in the right direction, but
0: uh 3% or 3.9%? Is that what they said 3.9? No, no, I'm just wondering like is,
2: oh, I see. Is, oh is yeah, Is the yeah, question yeah. 3% yeah.
0: or is the question 3.9% because I think 3.9% starting is with very, a 3. Yeah, uh, starting with a 3 is very probable. Yeah, I think. Um, But I think they're going to probably have to come back next. What's the next announcement? Six weeks away? Like, they're going to go, okay, cool, that was our pause. And right. Here's another quarter point. And yeah. I can see that happening for a good, and then pause again, and then maybe another quarter point, right? Like, just much more slower, measured approach, as opposed to the U.S. Fed, which sounds like, Lord, yeah. help me, they're going to go yeah. Uh, crazy. How like is not about.
2: going to allow his reputation to be the guy that didn't get inflation under control?
0: Like he is yeah. ruling. I think the iron states fist. is having a bigger issue though. Like I think the yeah. states is literally like, I don't know if they're just more okay with spending or what, like we have more household but, debt,
2: I guess. But their mortgages
1: are different. Like inflation's going to be stickier there, like a 30 year mortgage there, like your rates locked in for 30 years. Yeah. Right.
0: So you have so, a like, lot more money maybe to spend on the other stuff.
1: I'm not moving. I'm going to stick around. I've got lots of disposable income for the next, you know, 29 years left. Like, I I think in Canada, it's different. Like, my my mortgage renews in three and a half, four years. Like, I could be looking at a different payment. So, we're going to tighten our belt now, right? But if I had another 25 years left, like, I don't think I'm that worried about it.
2: Yeah, like, I wonder what percentage of, of Americans have a mortgage that is at under 3% locked in for the next 25 years. So like, you know that meme that's going around? It's like the person yeah. on the balcony looking down and everyone being like, I fixed that 2.5, <laughs> <2.5." laughs> right? Like, that's probably going to save a lot of them where we're going to feel more pain in Canada, you'd think, on, on the mortgage payment side of things. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Agreed. Yeah, I would just wish they would introduce, like, if they cared, and again, they it don't. It used to they're...
2: exist, though, right? In Canada? Did it not What's used that? to
0: exist that we had the longer terms?
2: Longer terms. But they terms. took it away I... because the banks were almost tricking people into taking the longer terms that they wanted to give us options,
0: and that's why they're shorter? So I've heard from old folks. I tried to research this, actually. I couldn't find any information on it. Um, but the old folks tell me that the the reason we have five-year mortgages is because as interest rates come down, people thought it was predatory and they couldn't get out of their mm-hmm. higher-rate mortgages. So they're like, the banks sold it as, hey, look at, we're nice guys. We're only going to lock you in for five years, and then when rates are lower, we're going to give you a better rate. But now we're going in the other direction, right? So it's right. it's both sides... Uh, of the argument and they're being used against each other. I personally think they should offer it. They do. I mean, they offer a 10 year, but what's a 10 year right now? 7.5% or, or higher. But maybe, it's not
2: even, 10%. it's the offering of is one thing,
0: but the penalty associated with it is the issue here. That's the these are what the you should limit. It's gouging. It's ridiculous. Right. You got Jagmeet up there yelling at, uh, what's his name, Galen Weston, and, and telling him how he's, uh, you know, profiteering and all this stuff. And then you're not pulling the banks up to say, look at these. I, I love that, by the way. I watched that argument, and I am so... I haven't uh, seen and, it yet. I am so anti-Jagmeet that I, I, he's sitting there just saying, like, you guys are making record profits. You guys are charging all this stuff. And I understand the argument. And I just I actually put a comment on one of the CTV news. I, I was a troll but you got- <laughs> comment. Um, you but I actually said something like, I know the how tables Jaymeet have feels. turned. I know how he feels. I agree with Jagmeet. I have the exact same problem with my taxation. Right? Like they're coming after record amounts of taxation. They're not trying to give that back. And what they won't admit is that's what's causing the problem. Right? It is not greedflation as he's calling it. It is absolutely too much money pumped into the economy with no reason to spend it on services and all the reason to spend it on items. And then the cost of items go up. Oh, and by the way, we can't get you those items. So now we got a problem. Okay. Now that Steve's rant on the economy (laughs) wrapped up. No, I have an appraisal question. Okay. I I legitimately have an appraisal question. Um, Here's the issue I had with appraisals. So as the market started to come down last year, the appraisals would come in and they would obviously come in lower. Right. But I, with my clients, never once had a problem closing on a property. Never. So I think that's because when I work with a buyer, uh, at the time of the offer, whether it be unconditional in some of those times or um, conditional or whatnot, the mortgage brokers I work with order the appraisal at the time before we remove conditions ideally or Mm -hmm. at the time the offer was submitted and we get the appraisal numbers in now. Do you think that maybe a lot of the issues were a lot of brokers were hoping the market went up. So they held off ordering the appraisal until the very end. Is that what goes on? It it might not even be so much on the broker. It does happen. Like actually like for a listing that I
1: had, like I actually got caught with that, with an appraisal that I wasn't happy with because the property would, you know, it would, we would so it would sell firm and that's, I think it was in June. And then it was closing in, I think October, but they didn't order the appraisal until I think like late, late September. So now that individual, that appraiser is using sales that were basically, you know, a month prior to that, right? So I think it was like a $1.2 or $1.3 million property and the appraisal came in a million bucks, sorry, $300,000 short. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily reflective of the market of when the, the property actually sold. So... That is a tough situation to be in. And a lot of times it's not so much that the broker didn't order it. It's that in my experience is that it might just be sitting on the lender's desk, right? Mm -hmm. Because they have a whole slew of things to get through and it's in a priority sequence. And they go, well, this one's not going to close for a while. Let's go deal with it then, right? So you have this deal that went firm. It sits on the desk. The lender goes, oh, by the way, we need an appraisal. Underwriting just ordered an appraisal on this. Now we have to put it through. Let's just make sure we do it a week before it closes. So... That's a bit of a transaction management part of it, which is like, in my experience, like really good brokers are all over that. Really good mortgage brokers are all over that, where it's like, we're not waiting until a week before closing for a huge surprise. Like, let's try to order this thing ahead of time, right?
2: Mm-hmm. What about the? So Steve, you had mentioned that a lot of your appraisals got done before it firmed up.
0: Now, that's I would say- for, In my market, that's when appraisals should but happen. That, that in, is the Condition of financing, right? If Yeah, and if I I don't don't get get an appraisal, here's how I know a deal is not going to come together. So I (laughs) accept an offer, and then I get no call from an appraiser within the next three business days, right? And now I know that, and let's say this is for sure over 20% down, because under 20% down, sometimes they auto appraise for whatever that's worth. We can maybe talk about that. But let's say if it's five-day condition to finance, And I haven't got a call from an appraiser because the appraiser calls a listing agent direct, right, to get a time to go in. I know that now the buyer has not been approved for their financing because the appraisal is only ordered if the buyer is good. And now we have to make sure the house is good. Does that make sense? That's how we do it here. And that's, well, sorry, that's how we at Carish Real Properties team do it. And I don't know if that's how the majority of the industry does it because I'm talking to mortgage brokers and they're like, I told, I was talking to this realtor yesterday and I told him, I don't know, it's looking shaky for your client's financing. And then the next morning he sends me subject removal.
2: Hmm.
0: Like there's guys just jamming deals together. And that can't work well. So how does it work in your market, Tom? And then maybe Ben can tell us what really goes on. Because
2: Ben can tell us what really goes on because I will tell you in that obviously the last nine months we've had more conditional sales. And sometimes the appraisal is ordered in that conditional period. But for the most part of my career, appraisals happen after it goes firm. Like for when I get the call and they go in. What's been your experience with that, Ben?
1: Yeah, like so. I mean, like if if a property is being like if if the prop the offer was submitted with no conditions, so it's just sold sure. firm, like it wouldn't be subject right. to an appraisal. So really, that's like you you have to tell your clients like you're kind of rolling the die on this, right? Like if the market changes, or you're dealing with somebody who's not familiar with the market, or heaven forbid, you get an appraiser that doesn't do a good job, like you could be kind of stuck holding the bag and having to do a value appeal on something like this, right? So, and especially if there's a longer, like a longer period to closing, like you're taking on even even more risk, right? So, in the, in the tighter timelines, it's not such a big deal. But for the most part, yeah, like where we get the most pressure as an appraisal firm is when it's like, listen, we have an, a we have a, an appraisal request here. The deal is subject to financing three days. Like we need to get you in. Like you have. Like, so when they order appraisals through these AMCs like Solidifier or, or NAS, like that you accept it that morning, you're expected to get there that day and submit it that night. Like they want you turning these things around in 24 hours or less. So for a lot of these firms, like if you're dealing with a lot of these, like really, really quick turnaround times, like Steve, maybe for your example, like if it's already a firm deal and the closings kicked like, you know, two months down the road or three months down the road, that's not going to take priority over something that's conditional because yeah. those, those yeah. banks, those brokers, like they want that appraisal right away so they can waive their condition.
2: I've got a, a question that was my big beef with appraisals during the p word the thing that happened where we all stay inside okay now i'm not talking about early days of no one knows what's going on here no vaccine anything what i'm talking about is mask mandates are done people are going to restaurants again and i would sell a listing and the buyer's appraiser would call me directly and say hey tom we have about 24 questions for you right now on the phone we don't go to the houses anymore and i'm like okay so Just to be clear, you want me to do your job for you. Yeah, you can go to the house. My seller has no issue with you being in their house. I'm good with you. I'll give you a lockbox code. Go do your job. So, like, do you get what I'm coming from on that side of things? Like that, I was like, what are you calling me for, man? Go, you go do it.
1: Well, no, and the apps absolutely shouldn't be doing that. And again, like I think a lot of times too, like when you when you're on these appraisal management sites, like you can end up getting like there's like during some of those peak times because anything that went over listing during a given period of time, like when that was really new, um. If it went over listing, it was just a requirement that the bank had to order an appraisal. So like we're a pretty small little firm here, but we were getting 40 to 60 appraisal requests a day, Whoa, like a day. So you can't get, you can't get through that amount of volume. So if you're taking advantage of that, yeah, you're sitting behind your desk, accepting as many appraisals as you can take. And then you're hoping not to go to inspect it. Right. And I think, and I think during a pandemic, like people can kind of take it, take advantage of that a little bit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What
2: percentage during the pandemic do you think were auto appraised online?
1: Oh, 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 you mean like like asking for pictures and calling the realtor you mean?
2: No, oh. auto appraised.
1: That's tough. Like we were still, we were still able to do the work. And, and quite frankly, I'll say this, like I really had a hard time with doing the, those types of appraisals because it was actually more work, like trying to get mm. someone like all due respect, like over the age of 65 to take pictures of their home that didn't include like bank statements in the background, like personal information, like pipeeta mm. that I couldn't include in the report was immensely difficult. Like I would, I even said, like, I would love to just come out, do the inspection. You know, it's, Fifteen to thirty minutes, depending on the size of the property. I can take my pictures. I'll put my mask yeah. on. I'll go super quick. But to try to get that, it took it took a really really long time, and it was more difficult.
2: Right? I had one where they had we had sold firm. It was a, it was like like a three month closing or something. The appraisal called me a month after we had already sold firm, and yeah. I I was like I played ball with them. I'm like, all right, yeah, here's the pictures, here's all the questions that you need, and then they come back and they say the pictures are not recent enough. I'm like, like we took these pictures the day we list the property. It sold a month ago. I don't know what else to tell you. You can't changed.
0: use MLS pictures. That's
2: the thing. Tom. No, I know. But I'm, st- they asked for them.
1: Yeah. See, part of so there's, there's also a difference here too. Like when, once they could start, like appraisers could start going back into properties as well. Like we had a listing where I had an appraisal firm out of Oakville asking for the same thing. Can you send us pictures? Can you send us notes? And it was like, listen, like there are, then there are different types of appraisals, right? Like there's a full residential appraisal, which is what the majority of the appraisals that we do, right? It's a standard form. You go through, you rip through and you answer all the questions and you fill out your little tick boxes or whatever the case is. You find your comparables, you do your analysis. But there's also some which in that and that type of appraisal requires that you do an on-site inspection. That's just inherent in doing that. You can add things to what's called the extraordinary assumptions and limiting conditions, saying you know maybe we didn't we didn't look at this. We're basing it on you know what I mean. Like you can put your ex, your disclaimers in there. But there's also something called a drive-by, which is which is kind of like a it's kind of like between an auto appraisal and a full appraisal is a drive-by where you Sounds can put you know, on the street. Well, yeah, exactly. And you kind of just sit in the street, you take a look, you take a couple of pictures, and then you can rely on MLS, yeah. right? So to your point, if someone's calling you say an appraiser's calling you saying, like, we have 24 questions, and we need pictures, it's like, just to be clear, like, are you doing a drive-by? Or are you doing a full appraisal? Because if it's a full appraisal, right. and you're allowed to get in the home, you actually have to do that.
2: Yeah, right? I, I didn't right? know to ask that question, honestly. I, uh... That's a
1: really great question to bring up. And I think you're going to get a big pregnant pause. And it's going to be like, you need to come out and do the work, right? Like, you just got it. You accept it. You got to do it. And quite frankly, that's why my liability insurance is so high. Right? Right. Like, it's very expensive to be an appraiser. Like we have lower fees. We take on the majority of the risk. And like I, I pay ten grand a year just to be an appraiser.
0: Interesting. But yeah. Like when realtors also... complain about
1: dues and insurance, it's like
2: that's no, fine. Yeah, Close. Yeah. Eh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, we we just got our um, our fees reduced. Because oh, that's great. That'll be good for the number of new right? agents coming in. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so we just got our fee reduced because there's such a surplus of agents paying them that we don't have to pay those high amounts anymore. Um, hey, your board should talk to our board. That'd be fun. Oh, you guys must be making <laughs> boatloads over there. The The difference, though, I think that needs to be clarified maybe for the listeners, there's an auto appraisal that can happen from the bank if it fits yeah. their algorithm. Maybe it's CMHC. And, and then no appraisal needs to be done because it's insured. It checks all the boxes, it goes into a very low risk for default folder, and then the property itself does not need to be appraised. Then there's appraisals, which is what Ben's doing, and then there's a model, I don't know how prevalent it is, but I got advertisements for it within the last 12 months, of desktop appraisals. No matter what, we can do everything online. Yeah.
1: Some, yeah, similar to a drive-by. So like there's different, and, and again, yeah, depending on the criteria of the lender, like that's that's what will happen. And I think for for the appraisal industry, like there's been talks for many, many years of automation and valuations. And I think like I pretty much feel like my job's secure. Like until until those AVMs, like those automated valuation models, can be insured, I'm just fine. Mm. Because quite frankly, like I'm I'm just here to get sued. <laughs> right? right. Like if my valuation's wrong, I'm the one who's gonna take it on the chin right? Like that's what my insurance is for. So for an automated valuation model, like until they're good enough to be
0: insured, they're not a threat. Are you telling me there's trouble with, with estimates?
1: Just a little telling- bit. Just a little Didn't bit. Didn't they shut yeah. down?
0: Did they shut down estimates <laughs> yeah. or did they just shut down the iBuying side of things?
1: The buying was shut down because basically they were buying all these properties, inflating the value, and then their, their algorithm was basically using their comparables that were overvalued to continue to overvalue the real estate that they wanted to buy in this weird Ponzi scheme. And basically, like, yeah, they overpaid. They inflated their own values.
0: This episode of the Tom Story Show is brought to you by the YouTube for Real Estate video course. Are you interested in creating an engaging, value-driven YouTube channel to help educate your client base on real estate in your market, as well as introduce a new revenue stream to your business? Perhaps you've already created a YouTube channel, but are struggling to gain viewership and the subscribers you are looking for. The YouTube for Real Estate course will provide you with proven tips and strategies on how to create and cultivate an engaging YouTube channel, as well as how to optimize your channel resulting in higher viewership subscribers and yes, deals. But that's not it. I implemented YouTube in my business in early 2021 and it has easily been the best marketing source for meeting new clients that I have ever had in my business, period. Better than expensive geo-farming, internet marketing, and open houses combined. And now it even rivals my repeat and referral business. If you would like to learn all the tips and tricks for meeting new clients using YouTube, simply go to video course login or click the link in the description below and sign up for the YouTube for real estate course today and learn a year's worth of my painstaking research of learning how to use YouTube for real estate in just a few hours by taking the YouTube for real estate course. So go to video course login.com right now and use the promo code Tom show at checkout. Again, that's video course login.com or simply use the link below.
2: Right. They're also doing so it yeah, like, in an upward trending
0: market. And then when things start slowing down, they're like, Oh, <laughs> that is so that is my question. The, the appraisal industry has had issue because of how fast the market has changed in both directions. Mm-hmm. So do you think the appraisal market or the industry itself can adapt to that? And what might those adaptations be? Because if something is increasing 5.5% per month, like my market was doing, your job has to be impossible.
1: For the, for, those, for that time period, for those first three months, like I actually, generally speaking, depending, because when the, when the requests come in, sometimes you can look at it, you can look at the deal and you might be like, you know what, I'm just, I'm going to make someone angry. I'm not going to take this deal because I know I'm in that one to three months where I don't have any historical evidence to support this market value. Even if it reflects a market value transaction, I don't have the historical data to support it. So like I'm left in this rock and a hard place where I'm going to make people upset. Either I'm not doing my job as an appraiser, because the historical data is only, I can only use that, or I'm gonna start ticking off the agents, the buyers. And like, that's a painful process, right? Someone buys a house for 700,000, my appraisal comes in at 650, they gotta come up with 500 grand or $50,000. That's really problematic, right? So I think once you get past that time frame, like once you get past like that three to six months and you can start seeing a bit of historical evidence, and you know that the market's trending at 2% per month, I can make time adjustments. But before that time frame, it's exceedingly difficult. So yeah, like to, your, to answer your question, like it is for those for when the market's rapidly rising from a standstill, it's nearly impossible.
2: And is there any conflict of interest being a real estate agent and an appraiser? Like you can't appraise your own listings, right? Or like what if you make an offer yeah. on a property and you lose on it, and then you get called in to appraise the price on the winning offer? Like what does that all look like? How do you deal with that? It, It it could be, no, there's, there's, there could be like
1: massive inherent conflicts in doing both. And I'll give you an example. Like I was, like, I do a lot of work in the agricultural space, which is a very small community, especially Niagara, which is a small community. So like, I was selling a greenhouse. It's a four million dollar plus greenhouse, but it, these are usually traded exclusively because nobody wants anybody sure. knowing their business. Typically, yeah. right? You find a buyer, you find a seller, you put them together. So we ended up doing both sides of the deal, and then the and then the bank. And we do a lot of work for lenders, so I knew where to take this transaction and say, like, this is this would be a great deal for you guys. You can do it. And they said, that's fantastic. Can you appraise it? And I just went like. I don't think there's a bigger conflict in real estate than doing both sides of the deal and then submitting an
0: appraisal on it. So I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to. Unless
2: you're the lender one. as well. <laughs> also, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, did, I did. Also, I'm private it. financing it.
0: Think about yeah, it. Right? You did just appraise it though, because if you're bringing them the sale, like I got a buyer and seller putting yep. market value together here. I did the appraisal. This is what I think it's worth.
1: Yeah. Well, my opinions of value, I would say like, I do put an extensive amount of time into them. Like it's pretty much when it's done, it's, it's not an AIC appraiser appraisal because we have to run through like what's called, it's called Coospap. It's sort of like our standards. So we have to, we have to make sure that they meet these certain guidelines. But like when I'm done an opinion of value, it's effectively an appraisal, right? Just cause like, we just, I want to keep, make sure I always hold myself to that standard. But yeah, like I feel pretty good. Like once I have a list price in mind, like I'm, I'm good. I'm good on that price. Like, let's not argue about it.
2: So if you, you've had a listing that you've sold maybe or maybe helped a buyer and mm. and somebody else does the appraisal, right? It's not you. yeah. And an appraisal comes in low on something you've represented your own buyer on. You're like, hey, man, I know how to do this. Don't you dare tell me. That's got to be a weird conversation. Like that happens. That's got to oh, be a weird it, conversation.
1: Oh, it, it it does happen and it depends who it is. Like I'm not, so again, like there was, there was a property we did. It was in Niagara and the Lake. I think I just, I mentioned it earlier, but sold for like 1.2, 1.3 and appraiser came in and appraised it for a hundred thousand, uh, $300,000 less than it sold for. And it's like, well, hold on, hold on a second. Like I need, I need some information on this. So in those instances, like you, you do submit a value appeal uh, and you always have to assume that anyone kind of working the process, whether it's the broker or the, the agent on the other end, like in the best of ways, assume they don't, they don't know anything. Assume they don't know what they're doing. So you start digging into the process and you realize that the appraiser that came out to appraise, this is a rural property, mm-hmm. five acres house with an outbuilding. Um, they came out and they appraised it from Markham. Like mm-hmm. they came out and did this from Markham. So that's the first thing where you're like, well, listen, hold on a second. Like, because as it stands, like I wouldn't go out and appraise a farm in Markham. Like that's right. not my area of expertise, right? Like that's something I would refer out or just so you can find someone who's more uh, competent in that area. Um, and the second thing is too, like on the lending side, like for that property too, like most lenders will only do house on five acres or house on 10 acres. They won't actually allow you to value any outbuildings. So it's not going to come in mm. at full list anyway. Right. So there's a couple of different understandings you have to have there. But when you start digging into the valuation, it turns out, yeah, like I want to know the comps. I want to know what they're doing. And if I'm going to have a value appeal, like the information I'm sending back is going to be another full appraisal. So a lot of times we will just have to try to say like, listen, like if I don't agree and I don't necessarily think that appraiser did what they should have done, I would like you to find somebody
2: else to do that. So I'm gonna knock on wood here on my desk. Um, in my 10 years of doing this, I've had very few actual disputes with appraisals coming in, whether we're representing the buyer or it's one of our own listings that's having to the other side. But I have had a few. And typically the conversation goes, okay, the appraisal comes in low. I call the mortgage broker that my buyer is working with and say, hey, like, what are we gonna do here? And now they can decide, do they wanna just make up the difference in the purchase price or can you ask for a second opinion? And from my experience, some lenders will go, okay, fine. We'll send another appraisal in. And then some just go flat out like, no. But yeah. ne- never in my experience, and tell me if I'm wrong here, I've never had a lender being like, well, just here, here send this to the, call the appraisal. Like, call the person. <laughs> I've never gotten a number. It's like, I got to go back to the lender and say, yeah. well, send them these comps. And then tell them, you know, this is the way, this is what happened. Nothing sold in six months. And t- check out the lot size. Like, I just want to make sure they're not missing anything
1: yeah, and that really started after like the Great Recession, right? Like I'm so when I'm doing an appraisal for like these appraisal management companies, when it comes in, like I know the bank, but I don't know who the lender is. Like I don't know anything else. Like I can call the contact. I can get into appraise it. I upload the appraisal, then it goes to whoever it goes to. So yeah, you you'll never be able to just call the appraiser directly um because that would again potentially create a conflict. yeah, but there's there are different processes, you're right. Like you will have to upload the comparables. And I think, Like in your market, Tom, like, do you find that like, did that, did those happen on condos or did that happen on like freehold?
2: No, that was freehold. Condos are pretty easy to, I would say like, would
1: would the majority of those be automated in your market? It's a
2: good question. I I don't know because honestly, I don't play in that side of the transaction. Other people do that. Um, I'm not actually sure
1: yeah yeah so in those particular instances, like I would always encourage people to yeah submit your value appeal and I would make it like a good value appeal like take your time in putting together your comparables because on the appraisal end, there's nothing more that that I find frustrating if let, let's say anyone, I've only had maybe like five or six value appeals, but if someone's going to submit the comparables and it's like this is a for you know a bungalow in a neighborhood and like it's not waterfront, and then they start pulling comparables from municipalities that are nowhere nearby on the water and a thousand right. square feet bigger to support their price like I don't like that's just kind of a waste of time. So if it's good and if I've missed something, I'll look at it, right? Like nobody's that good, but otherwise, no, like keep it, keep it tight, submit your comps, make sure you have a good case for yourself and see where it goes, right?
2: You know, I think and all three of us, Steve, just one sec, just, just for the listener, the bank is approving you. They are not approving the property that you have purchased yet until the appraisal is done. Right. So yeah, that's sure. what we all have to keep in mind here. They are proving you, they like you, and they like your numbers, and this is what you can afford. But guess what? If the bank's lending you 80 to 90% of the purchase price of your property, if they don't agree with the price you paid, well, tough shit. Right. Like, yeah. I, I just wanted to say that because I know it seems obvious to us, but someone listening that maybe hasn't bought yeah. a property yet is trying to figure it out. It's like,
0: that's what we're talking about here. There's something about value I would like to, I guess, put out there, or at least uh, not really a question, but. I try and tell my clients regularly, like, listen, I am allowed to give you an opinion of value for sale. I am not allowed to give you an opinion of value for whatever else you want it for. Uh, Estate purposes, sometimes I'm not allowed to. Um, Refinance, obviously, I'm not allowed to. And people don't seem to understand that there can be different values tied to the same property for those different reasons. Like for instance, if you're buying an apartment block, your value might be more tied to rent and income than it is to dirt and building. Yeah. So how can, can you dumb it down for the, for me listening? Like what is the difference on looking at those different types of value? Because people just don't seem to understand the difference.
1: Yeah. So We would look at it and there's two definitions that we would look at for, let's just say a commercial appraisal of like a multi-residential building. If that building was totally vacant, like they had no tenancies, it had no contract rents, like that would be the fee simple interest of that property, right? Like that's those bundle of rights, but there's, it's kind of free and clear. There's nothing really encumbering it in terms of like leases and things like that. But then there's also something called like a leased fee interest in a property, So we do see this a lot in like multi-residential properties where let's just say that the property is trading on the direct comparison approach. So you look at a building, the number of units, you divide up a number of units and say it's trading for, you know, $200,000 a unit. But the tenants have been in the property for, you know, 30 years and they're all getting a deal where it's, you know, 500 bucks a month on their their rent. So on one sense, like it might be trading for $200,000 a unit, but the actual income approach, the leases that are tied to the property that are totally encumbered by it, um, actually drag the value of that property down, right? So that's the sense where you could say, like an investor might look at this if they can, I don't know, try to pull something off that shady and try to get the tenants out and say, I think it's worth this. But the bank's going to look at it and say, like, if we, heaven forbid, we have to take this property back, we're tied to these leases, right? Mm-hmm. And based on those leases, and if we use a cap rate, you know, 5%, capitalize it into value, it's not worth what an investor's willing to pay for it because we just can't get rid of these tenants, right? So there's there could be differences of, like millions of dollars, depending on the size of the property. Like I've I've appraised multi residential properties that have lease rates that are so low. And let's just say it's a hot water heat or like like it has hydro for heating and the the landlord is paying for that. Sometimes the landlord's paying their tenants to be there in the winter, right? Like the bill's $700 and they're only Mm. getting 500 bucks a month. Like that, that building's not, there's not a lot of inherent worth if you can't get that tenant out, right?
2: We, uh, we have Daryl Frankfurt coming on the show in a little in a few months, Steve, I think that'll be a, a fun few episode. months, two a, weeks. a month, a few weeks. Anyways, um, why I bring it. this up for Ben is because he is a assembly. He assembles, uh, you know, houses to to build developments, right? And yep. he's basically like, listen, you know, my value of this house could be $2 million for what I need it for, for what it will produce for me. But the value of this house to any other buyer is a million bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Have you dealt with like developers assembling stuff? And how do you even, appra- there'd be such a wild gap between the actual value of it versus the value for that specific person.
1: Yeah. And I think, well, there's a couple different ways of looking at that, but I think in terms of like, say, so, like there's different types of value outside of even just market value, right? So when we're looking at things like, like churches or wineries mm. or breweries, like, because a winery is basically an industrial building with this little retail component on agricultural land. That's really what it is. And but that business can be very specific. Storage facilities is a good example. And that's actually an example of what's called uh, value in use, right? Okay. Like it's not necessarily market value, it's value in use. If you have a storage facility that's fully rented and knocking the lights out, that's probably my favorite type of real property, my favorite thing to appraise. And like, that's a, it's a great type of real estate to have. If that property is not being, if, it, if you can't get any tenants for that property, what do you convert it to? Like you can't just change a storage facility into a Wendy's, right? Like you have to pretty much just knock it over and start over again. So, when something like that is functional and it's being used, that's value in use, right?
2: And if it, if you have to change that use, well, the market value might be a lot less. I, I, we got about a few minutes left here, but I wanted to like discuss this one kind of big question. Okay. And and this isn't necessarily even my opinion, but uh, you're here, you've been in the appraisal industry. Let's have this conversation, right? Like go for it. This is not going to be an argument. (laughs) This is going to be like, I'm, I'm seriously just curious. Okay. So an appraisal, one person based on their opinion, based on running the numbers, based on all the training you've had, which is more training than anyone else to make that decision. I understand that gets to decide the value of the perceived value of a property because that one person believes that. You send four appraisers to the same property, you will likely get four different results, maybe, right? Or at least yeah. three yep. different results. Yep. versus a free market in which the market value of a property in terms of definition is what someone is willing to pay for a property, right? Now again, I get I get the banks lending the money and and everything. So just like that conversation um on what appraisers do versus what the market does and and that dispute between the two of them you you get what i'm trying to say right yeah thoughts yeah, on like- that
1: yeah. And I think sometimes like I, maybe the best answer is there is no good answer, right? right. Like I think in a, a lot of cases too, like if you have four appraisers doing the same property and they come up with vastly different answers, like I would say that has something to do with their education and their training. A lot of times in the appraisal reports that I've reviewed, it comes down to their comparable selection. Sure. And I know like when I've looked at other different, um, like I've helped realtors do this or other appraisers, it's like you've picked the wrong comp. Like if you initially select a comparable that you already know right off the hop, you have to you have to adjust it more than 10% of like, let's say that the value of the property that you're appraising in terms of what that agreement of purchase and sale is, that's the wrong comp. Like you're doing too many adjustments. And the more adjustments that you make, the further away from value you're going to get. That's just a fact. Um, So a lot of times I would say, like, if you do have difference of opinions, I would reevaluate what comparable sales you're using. Sometimes too, like as a realtor, like you'll take a one-off sale and say, we're going to hang our hat on this one-off sale. Like I have more support for a lower value. But I'm going to try to, my job is to get the most amount of money from my client, or I'm going to do something else that, you know, it's legally, you know, obligated by the client or whatever, but you're going to try to get the most amount of money. So you might hang your hat on as an appraiser, an outlier sale. And this is happening a lot in Niagara-on-the-Lake for agricultural land along what's like Highway 55, which is like pretty much like boardwalk and park place for wineries. Like there's a recent sale that went for $175,000 an acre, which is outlandish for values in Niagara-on-the-Lake, like the rest of agricultural acreage that's planted you might be looking at 50 to 60,000 dollars an acre but now everyone's saying that their farms are worth 120 to 175 million dollars or 175,000 dollars an acre and you're going well but that's one sale right like one sale doesn't make an entire market so i think that's where there's that difference of opinion again where it's well if you get it great god bless you good for you
2: but on that if you sale don't, just really quick on that sale was that sale appraised at what they paid or was there an issue? Like, I guess we don't know that, right?
1: We, we don't know if I had to guess, like, I think it was a publicly traded company that bought it. And generally speaking, like, they're just they if they're going to pay a ridiculous number for something, they, they better have the bank bank account got, to back it up. They got right? cash. So, yeah. yes. Or, or or they would say, like, we'll take what we can get from the bank and we'll just do the rest because we just need that location. And that's not wrong either. Right. Like if that's I think it was a, it's a, it was a winery between I think Jackson Triggs and Trias. Like you want that if you want that 50 right. acres or whatever it is, you're just going to have to pay for it. Pay and for sometimes it. that's that's just what it is. Right. And you must experience that in your markets, too, where this is just a really unique property. It's probably not going to praise, but it doesn't mean someone's not going to pay for it.
2: Right. Right. Yeah, Steve, you got thoughts on this cuz you've been doing real estate, you know, longer than me. You've been around forever, you know. So, I'm sure you've had run-ins with appraisals and and not coming through and,
0: and out here, okay.
2: Really quick question cuz I I know someone asked me to ask you this, Ben. Yeah. How is it that some appraisals come like if a house sells for $916,000, the yeah. appraisal comes in bang on at $916,000? Is that because it's an <laughs> auto appraisal? Is that what's happening? No. No, sometimes because like
1: when, you, when you're doing a direct comparison approach in appraisal, which is basically you pick three sales that you believe are would be reasonably similar substitutes to the subject property. Um, and then you make your adjustments. So one might be a bit bigger, a bit smaller, a bit nicer. You make your you know time adjustments and things like that. And then what happens is that you end up with a range of values, right? Because market value always forms a range. Like market value yeah. realistically shouldn't form a single point. Anyone who says it's a single point is most likely wrong. Um, and then so if they're really trying to push that value up to the upper end of that market value range, they might just push it to to make that number like exactly Understood. to the $1,000. Yeah. Okay. That's probably what that is is that, so if that happens you know that they were like just barely squeak that one in.
0: <laughs> hey Tom, it's uh it's Steve from ABC Appraisal, uh just confirming a few things here. Uh I see that it's you know your asking price was this. Um and what was the accepted offer? <laughs> yeah, right. So we're we're required
1: to ask that question though. We're really? Oh, to app- I thought yeah, this was just a, like Yeah, oh, okay. so this, this is, done.
2: Wait, you guys don't no, no. know? Wait, I thought you knew what the sale price was before you went in.
1: Not always. No, that's not always. So when again, when oh. we get when we get when we get the appraisal request, sometimes again, good lenders, good mortgage brokers will attach the APS to the to the to the request, right? And those this so you know what you have. But sometimes you show up on site totally blind and there is there there are two fields in an AIC full residential appraisal report where it says you have to talk about the transaction history right so you actually have to say is the mar- is the property currently listed has it traded in the last 12 to 24 months so usually so i think part of the problem with that question steve is the re- the appraiser needs to preface why they're asking not it's not like hey i'm trying to back into a number here it's listen i, I it is a requirement of the AIC that i ask this question yeah. what did it sell for right my appraisal could be lower it could be higher but i'm actually required to, to look at this. And one of the reasons is that in this, in this market where prices were going like crazy, and there was a lot of properties that were like sale resale. So you've probably seen it in your markets where it's like, I don't know, a condo traded for 750. And then a couple months later, it traded for 850. We have to write something in there saying like this property sold for 750 and now 850. And then an explanation as to why, because the Mm. lender or the underwriter looking this, looking at this, like I've, I've dealt with underwriters that are in Halifax going like, can you explain to me why three months changed and the property value went up by $100,000, like you didn't write anything about that. And this seems really strange to me. And you have to say, well, market conditions, or they've done a lot of improvements or the property sold initially and it was underlisted, undersold, right? Like you have to have some explanation. So we're required to ask that.
2: Don't you think underwriters should maybe be working on deals in markets they understand? Is that a whole nother conversation? Like I'm licensed in Ontario, Steve's licensed in BC. I can't just go out there and sell a property in Steve's market. But the underwriters are all com- across Canada.
1: Yeah, there's a, so that happens a lot in commercial, right? Okay. Like if you're doing a deal, like you know, there's a lot of underwriters where it's like, hey, I'm looking at your winery appraisal, but I'm actually sitting in Halifax. Like, can you explain to me what the winery looks like? And you're kind of like, oh, this is interesting, <laughs> right? So yeah, th- that is a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a conversation right there for sure.
2: Interesting. Well, this hour flew by. That was a really fun conversation, Ben. That was awesome. Um, thanks. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Steve, you got any I, final I got final got so thoughts many. here?
0: I want, I want to name a couple of things I've just been thinking okay, about. Yeah, okay, let's do it. This might extend yeah. it a little bit too much, but That's I've fine. got three things. One, uh, when you're talking about rentals, super, super uh, true that it will devalue if you don't raise your Tom Story, raise your tenant's rent. It will devalue. I'm going to think of yeah. just a condo I did for uh, a client that I met off of YouTube, actually. And he was the nicest guy on the planet and nicest landlord ever. And that condo was renting for like 9 And current rentals are fourteen fifty or more. And as a result, he sold for less money because the new person had to take on the tenant.
2: Why do they have to yeah. take on the tenant?
0: Because they were an it's investor t- as well. Okay,
2: but that was as an as an investor, I wouldn't have been buying that property, right? Like, I mean,
0: no, you would have bought that property as not long if the as rents the rents low, as long as as the, the, price, the made sense, sure. price made sense. Price made sense. So that's that's step number one. But my my kind of final question, two more points. Final question for for Ben though, what about no comps? Because that's what <laughs> we went through, right? Like December, January for us was no comps. Now I've got comps. The sellers may not like where they're at. But I've got lots of comps now.
1: Yeah, that's a really tough situation. And I, I'm doing an, an opinion of value now. And I was in the same situation. Like I have nothing. <laughs> like nothing is sold here in like nine months. Anything similar. And I think in those cases, like, again, this is part of like the narratives and the words you use when you're writing to your, your lending community. Um, you would basically have to say, like, I have to go back in time right? Like a lot of people will say like, you can really only go back, go back three to six months. Like that's what they'd prefer. But sometimes, especially in commercial, like, well, there aren't wineries don't sell every, every day. Like we don't have those kind of comparables. So like, I'll go back sometimes as far as three years, I'll make my adjustments. And then I have a, then I'll put a lot of time into my time adjustments. Right. Cause again, like right now, like we're kind of similar back to like April, May of 2021 in the Niagara market. So if I don't have anything recent in the last six months, like as a, what I would call complementary support, I'm going to go back and see if there's similar properties from that time. Because what else do you have?
0: Like you have to have something, right? That's something we can do with HPI really well, right? Like yeah. you can go like, right. okay, I know we're here now. You can go back to HPI. When's the last time we were here? And then grab sales from that market and you can go, okay, this is a pretty good measure. That's my
1: recommendation in those yeah. cases. Cause you can't, cause that's the thing too. You have no comps. Like you can't make it up. Like you have to have something, right?
0: Totally. Um, Ben I want to thank you and then I want to uh bore you with just a couple things because Tom and I have to do a wrap-up I'm going on vacation Tom this is the last thing I have to do before I go on vacation is this podcast yikes and this is Tom's wait idea. Steve's
2: going on vacation I thought you couldn't afford vacation no no, no, I no, no. Been I'm talking. going those, I'm those car
0: payments <laughs> I'm going nowhere I'm going nowhere. Um, just a podcast vacation. You're just leaving the podcast for a week. Do you remember, Tom? This was actually one of uh, the things we went through a few years back. A phonecation. I know you've never done it because you will not admit your addiction to your phone. <laughs>
2: my screen admit,
0: time tells me every week. My I will admit my addiction to this stupid thing. So um, I'm taking. I'm actually taking my computer in for a full service because tom story recommended the wrong computer for me to buy a couple of years ago and it kind of stinks but this was his other recommendation you remember this thing tom oh yeah the dumb phone i am going to a dumb phone for the week i'm gonna so what does it do thing. it doesn't send you can only take phone calls right no text no email nothing no it does uh, so phone calls yes It is, You know the weirdest thing about this thing? It is a Wi-Fi hotspot if I needed Mm -hmm. to connect to something. Um, So phone calls, text messaging makes me want to throw it out the door. It can text. It's called a light phone too. But every time I text, I just stop texting and just phone the person instead. Right. And then they've just added an app uh, for podcasts. So I can still have it on me, listen to a podcast. Uh, The only problem is the podcast app takes up so much of its memory that I'm not sure I can download a podcast on. So <laughs> I had, I did that and then I bought a book and I am going to go screen free for seven days. We'll see how that goes. Wow. Well we wish you luck. Ben do you have uh, an addiction to your phone like Tom does? That won't admit oh, yeah. it. Oh
1: yeah. Oh yeah. No no I'll admit it. Yeah, yeah. It's a problem. That's the first step,
0: right? Just admitting it. <laughs> it is the first step because here's what it's like hanging out with Tom. Actually all my all my realtor friends are like this huh? Oh,
2: but it's because I'm like dealing with a client. It's not like I'm like scrolling Facebook, you
0: know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, it is fueling my business at least. If we looked at your phone right now on your screen time, and I know it's on airplane mode for the recording of this, but if we looked at that right now, I'm assuming Instagram is in your top two apps. You probably have number number one messaging, email, and Instagram is probably right. Instagram, YouTube, and then text and
2: email are my top four, uh, always. Exactly. So you have an addiction, Tom. Instagram's also I a platform in which I do a lot of business from. So, you know, is it an addiction whatever or is it running need, a business?
0: Whatever excuse you need, Tom. I'm just telling you, take, start a phonecation. Get a dumb phone. My SIM card's going in here. And I will be able to, uh, when when my group text messages come in, it's going to be a, it's a mess. But we'll yeah. figure it out.
2: Yeah. Well, I wish you luck with that. Ben, thank you so much for coming on the show. That was a lot of fun. Um, you know, we've never really had a chance to talk with someone in your position, right? Like having the experience on the appraisal side, being an expert at that, and then also doing what me and Steve do on a daily basis as well. Like that's an interesting mix that like how many appraisal appraiser realtors exist? Can't be that many.
1: Uh, in Niagara the ACIs that do sales, there's six of us, I believe. And my six dad and years. I are two of them.
2: Yeah.
0: Now, right. how many realtors also drive Uber on the side. <laughs> Never mind. We're not going there. We're not yeah, going there.
2: Yeah, Ben, are you a part-time realtor? Is that? <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, if yeah. you could uh, just send me all the links and everybody watching, uh, all Ben's contact information is going to be down below. Final thing, train. though, Steve. I know you have to
2: leave. Ben, uh, best place for people to go to connect with you directly. I know they can go to the link below, but I want you you to tell them also.
1: Yeah, yeah. Instagram. I mean, yeah, I'm addicted. It's there. <laughs> like I'm on there. Pretty much twenty four seven. So
2: awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you being here, Steve. Enjoy your vacation, everyone that is listening. I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you for being here. Please like and subscribe the YouTube channel if you haven't already, and leave us a uh, review on Apple Podcasts as long as it is five stars. That is the caveat. Have an amazing week, everybody, and we will see you soon. Bye. Thanks,
0: Thanks, guys. that. That was awesome.